Good afternoon and welcome to Alpine Church. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the teachers here and just really excited to be with you uh, today as we are uh, in this series. We're right smack dab in the middle of it uh, called Culture Wars. And if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been going, taking a journey through the book of 1 Peter. Uh, so today we are in 1 Peter chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up and turn there. Uh, it's right towards the end of the New Testament uh, after the book of James, in between uh, the book of Second Peter, he actually wrote two. And so uh, we're going to be hanging out in First Peter chapter 3. Uh, what we're going to be doing today, the title of the message is Misinformation on the Family. Now, um, I, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, TV and families on TV were a pretty big deal, right? I mean, you guys probably know some of the shows that we watched growing up. Uh, things like maybe Leave it to Beaver or The Brady Bunch, right? Or Family Ties with Michael J. Fox. I remember when I was a teenager, one of my favorites was this thing called Charles in Charge. Anybody remember Charles in Charge? I couldn't wait to get home uh, after school to watch these things. And, and some of the other you know, shows that were popular when I was growing up, maybe this dates me a little bit, but it was things like uh, Who's the Boss? You remember Who's the Boss? And uh, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. They're actually making a video on, or a movie on that, I think. Uh, this is going to maybe scare or alarm some of you, but do you remember Married with Children? That was kind of one that was like, was terrible, right? Or uh, some of you uh, may have grown up with The Simpsons. Some may think that's from the devil, but, uh, but I watched The Simpsons. And so, you know, what's interesting about all of these things, and specifically on, on things on TV and in the media, uh, specifically with families, there was one thing that every single family had in common, and what they had in common was they were all dysfunctional, right? There was a lot of chaos. There was a lot of drama, right? Drama kind of pulls us in. It kind of draws us in. And they were just really messed up. And really, uh, when you look at it, uh, what was being celebrated by the culture were things like, uh, you know, bad marriages were okay. How men treated women were okay, right? Like drama and, and chaos was okay, and so what I want to do today is I, I want us to look at what God's Word and what God's Word has to say about families and what we're going to see that it's a lot different than dysfunction. Now, uh, I have three kids under the age of 16 in my home, and so let me just be honest with you. We have a lot of dysfunction in our home. Amen? Anybody in here have teenagers? Then you, pr yeah, you probably know what it's like. And so, uh, but one thing that I believe that as followers of Christ that we have that the world does not is we have God, right? We have a God who loves us, who cares about us, and so in our relationships, they're seasoned with grace and forgiveness uh, and patience maybe sometimes, right, and love. And so what I want us to do today as we swim against culture, which I think culture tells us uh, that chaos is okay, that dysfunction in the family is, is okay, what we're going to see today is, in God's Word is this idea of a healthy family dynamic. And thankfully, God gives us His Word, the blueprint for life, right, so that when we come to these things, that we can stand against what culture has to say. And so what we're going to do over the next 25, 30 minutes or so is we're going to try to answer this question. One thing that we've done each week is look at a question that we're going to try to answer. In 1 Peter, we're going to look specifically uh, at things in the family, uh, both for wives and husbands, but I also think in the latter part of 1 Peter chapter 3, he talks about uh, even individuals as Christians, how we can uh, live against uh, this culture war that we're going through. So today, 
how do we define family roles and the relationship of husbands and wives? Do we take our cues from culture, from the media, or do we look and do we stand upon the very word of God? My hope and my, uh, my hope today is that we would see that God's word is definitely the better way. Let's pray. Father, I, again, I ask you today uh, that these would be your words, not mine. God, as we study this subject, wherever we are in our relationships, maybe it's a marriage, uh, maybe it's just a relationship, whatever relationship that we're involved in, God, would you tell us or teach us how we can take the next step, not only in our pursuit of you, but in pursuit of health. We love you, and again, speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of this misinformation that I think culture uh, says about roles in the family and in life, and really we're going to take a look then at what Scripture has to say, and really that's contrary to what culture would say. The first is this, Uh, our culture says that I am the boss of me. Right, we're very kind of self-focused, we're inward-focused, right? We are in charge, uh, self-autonomy is kind of elevated in our culture, we're always looking out for ourselves. But the Bible, what it says, is that we need to learn how to submit to authority. So the, the culture says, I'm the boss of me, the Bible says we need to submit to authority. That's the next slide. Uh, I have, like I said, three kids under the age of 16, so not only would I ask for your prayer, uh, but what I would say is they're all different, right? Any of you, if you have kids, every single one of our kids are different. They're different in personality, they're different in temperament. Uh, my oldest son, Ashton, he's 15. Uh, he was a realist from a very, very young age. This was the kid who was like watching the news at six years old. It was really weird. But we just let him do it because it kept him quiet, right? Some of us, we just do things to kind of keep our kids quiet. Our, our middle son, Carden, he's probably the smartest of all of our kids. Super smart, like way smart beyond his, his own good. He's probably the smartest in our family. But he's super easygoing. Like he was the kid that we would just lay on the floor and he would look at the ceiling for hours upon hours drinking his bottle. It was the best thing ever. Right, and, and then we have uh, my youngest, she's nine years old, it's our only girl, and she is the most feisty firecracker you've ever met in your life. That is why I really need prayer, to be honestly. But she is, she's the most independent, uh, she's the most, uh, you know, kind of free-spirited, she says what's on uh, her mind, and she's not afraid to do it. And one of the earliest things that she learned to say was this, and maybe you've heard of this same phrase if you have kids, or maybe you've even said it in your li- own life, and here's that phrase. Shut up, you are not the boss of me, right? Anybody ever heard that? Shut up, you are not the boss of me. And so any kind of interaction with her brothers, uh, even interactions with mom and dad, uh, this idea of, you know, I'm in charge of me, and, and even though that is probably not a good thing to say, how many of you have wanted to say that to at least one person in your life, right? It's because I think in, innate in us, we have this desire to be all about ourselves. But you see, as we learned specifically last week when it came to submitting to authority in the government, uh, you know, uh, underneath God's rule, for the Lord's sake, we're to kind of respond to government in a respectful, honoring way, uh, as long as it doesn't go against maybe what we feel in our conscience, or if it goes against God's word for us, then we should absolutely say no. What we see here is now Peter takes it a step further, and then he brings it into the dynamic of family and relationship. And so what we do is we read in 1 Peter chapter 3, 
uh, verses 1 and 2, Peter is specifically addressing wives in learning how to submit to their husband's leadership and authority. This is what he says. He says, in the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news or the message of the gospel, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Now, here is where this subject of submission in authority and marriage gets a little bit touchy, right? We, we, we get this idea that when we look at this, some people have said, see, this is male headship, male leadership with authority over his wife. And so we get this negative connotation that it's this submission-only kind of relationship and that men should lord over their wives. But I don't believe that's at all what he's saying. I do believe that he's saying that there's order in the family. In fact, when we read into uh, Ephesians, we're going to look at that here shortly, he says that there's a mutual submission. But one thing that I want us to see, and I challenge you to maybe dig a little bit deeper this week, uh, on PursueGod.org, we have an article that's written with this specific message. And one of the authors, uh, actually Ross Anderson, one of our teaching pastors, writes this about submission. I think it's very, very powerful. He says this, the word submission means to voluntarily, it's a decision, to voluntarily arrange yourself under another. And we're looking at it in 1 Peter chapter 3 and the idea of wives submitting to their husbands, but I think this could go to just about any relationship. We have to be willing to submit to bosses and coaches and, and relationships in general, right? But he says this is a voluntary arrangement to place yourself under another. This means it's not about who is superior or inferior, but is simply an arrangement to bring order to family life. So rather than seeking autonomy from her husband, a wife should seek to be a team player in support of his leadership. So we look at this idea and Peter's saying, you know, it's a good thing, wives, to submit to the leadership uh, of your husband. But then uh, the Apostle Paul takes it a little bit deeper. And I love how he says this. If we go to Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21, he says this, And further, submit to one another. Isn't that interesting? He's now saying that it's a mutual submission, that there's this idea where we're working together. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, love, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Now, here's something very important that we understand, what what 1 Peter chapter 3 is saying, and again, I think what he's saying here in Ephesians chapter 5, being a wife in marriage is not an inferior position. Being a wife in marriage isn't a lesser role. It doesn't mean that our wives or women should not have their own identity, strong identity, But what this is saying, this is a submission to one another that when I as a a husband, I I learn to love and care and influence and encourage my wife, but when my wife says to me, I am submitting to your authority, 
that brings about great responsibility for me as a husband. She's saying that I am going to follow your lead, that you would lead us spiritually, that you would lead us, you know, in protection and care and honor and love. So much so, Paul says, that that, that you would be willing to give your life for me. And so when we look at this, this isn't a sign of weakness. This is a sign of great strength and great trust. And for men, this is a sign of responsibility. You know, uh, Peter then takes us a little bit further in what he says, that there should be this idea of submission and support and and loving our husband's leadership. But what happens if our spouse isn't a follower of Jesus Christ? You know, how are we supposed to respond in that kind of relationship? Well, Peter says very clearly that the way that we live our life, the way that we love our spouses, will then point them to Jesus, now, again, we're, we're looking at this in, in the idea or the context of family, but I think if we look at relationships in general, this is the responsibility that all of us have in this world, right? To be a light in the darkness, as we learn in chapter 2. To really be different in the world among us. To really go against culture wars. And when we do, it'll impact the world around us. Not just our marriages. So that's the first thing. The second thing uh, is this. Our culture says, and we're going to move into to kind of looks and outward beauty, our culture says that beauty is skin deep on what's, what's on the outside. The Bible says, and, and Peter says this specifically to wives, that beauty comes from within. Uh, how many of you in here have used social media in some way, shape, or form? You have Facebook, Instagram, whatever it might be. That's probably most of us. If you didn't raise your hand, I believe you kind of. But uh, I did some research on this, and there are th- like four billion users worldwide on social media. That's more than half of the population. The population is like close to 8 billion. And so half of the population is using social media. And when we see things like social media, we're being inundated by what the world says that we should be right? Uh, That person going on vacation, I wish I had that vacation. That person driving that car, I wish I had that car. That person who looks that way, I wish I looked that way. And then we have things like Instagram where we can do a face filter. Have you seen seen this, like a face filter? Man, I put this face filter on. It took all my wrinkles in the bags, and I thought, man, that's a good-looking guy right there, right? It's like, you, you can make my face look good? And you see, I think what's happened is over time, do you really think I'm that ugly? I thought that would be funnier than it was. I guess I am that ugly. But over time, I think what culture has said and done is that you have to be a certain way, to look a certain way. And if you don't, you're not beautiful. And so the Western culture says, okay then, now make yourself look better. Now pour more money into this whatever. You know, that beauty is on the outside. But in reality, what Peter is saying, no, is that beauty is on the inside. Listen to what he says in verse 3. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should close yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is so precious to God. Now, I don't think, again, what this is saying is that we shouldn't worry about what we look like. I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to look good or to be beautiful. I don't think any of that is wrong. But what I think Peter is saying is what's on the inside is more important than what's on the outside. And so when we're worried about what we look like or what we have, we're missing the point because God looks directly at our heart. You know, I think of one of my favorite stories in the Bible is when 
uh, God is replacing Saul with a king, right? And you remember he tells Samuel to go to Jesse and to, for Jesse to bring his sons because he's going to anoint the next king. And you can find this in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And, and here's what happens. Uh, Samuel and Jesse go out and here comes Eliab. Eliab is, is uh, he's this tall, handsome guy. And Sam, Samuel says, that's him. Surely that's him. Eliab, look at how amazing he is. And all of a sudden, God says something. You remember what he says? He says this in verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. Here's what I want us to understand. The, world doesn't, or, or the Lord doesn't see things the way the world sees them. The Lord doesn't see the things that, the way we see them. Listen to what, what the world judges by. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at his heart. You see, our heart matters. What's on the inside matters. And again, Peter isn't saying, don't worry about the way you look. You know, you need, to be, you need to sit quiet back and be passive. No, what he's saying is what matters is what's in your heart. When you have the identity of Christ, when you have given yourself to God and you have become a new creation, you now have purpose and motive and you have new desires and you view yourself as a child of the almighty God. And that changes everything about you. Changes the way you view yourself, it changes the way you view your marriage, it changes the way you view your workplace, it changes everything about us. You see, what we have in our heart matters. And so instead of what the world says or what culture says, we need to understand that God says something very, very, very different. Let's move to the, the next point. Our culture says that patriarchy is evil. But the Bible says that godly men Exist. You know, I think sadly what's happened in culture uh, is that this idea of submission in marriage or, you know, head, the headship of male, you know, male leadership at home has become a way for us to subjugate women. I think this has happened in society. I think it's happened in the workplace. And, and unfortunately, I think it's happened in, in some church structures. And it's not okay. Because this is not at all what this is saying. And, and I believe that even though at times men, male headship or even godly husbands or godly men in leadership, it doesn't have to be viewed as toxic. Because listen to what God's word says about it. Godly men lead differently at work. We lead differently at home. You know, we lead differently in our marriages. And this is what Peter says in, in verse 7, the first part. In the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. You see, Peter calls men to honor women. Peter calls them to honor their wives, to give respect and care and understanding, to really come together and work together in marriage. For me, this is the kind of love I think that, that for men, and I think the love that our wives deserve if you're married in here, is to say, the most important thing in my life, or I would say the second most important thing in my life, is my wife and my kids and my family. The first important thing is my relationship with God, right? And so my relationship with God, when I have my identity, then the most important thing now becomes my wife and my family. And so now I have a responsibility to love and to lead and to respect and to care for. And 
And man, let me, let me just share something with you from, from the bottom of my heart, because I stand before you and I have failed in marriage a lot. <laughs> in fact, I wish I could stand before you and say maybe like I could count on my hands and feet how many times I've failed, but really, if we looked at my failures, it would probably be about that long, right? And, and here's the thing. I think what happens is we get into this idea of making a mistake and we say, well, I've never been able to lead and so how can I start now? And you see, that's exactly where the enemy wants us. Oh, you haven't been leading. What makes you think you can lead now? Oh, you haven't been loving and caring. What makes you think you're going to be able to do that now? And you see what happens is our relationships and our marriages, they get divided further and further and further because we're being lied to by the enemy. And here is what I want to say, men, and I, can, I feel like I can share this in this point because he's talking about husbands. Like the first two points, it's talking about wives. I'm not a wife. I'm a husband. But here's what I want to say to you. Wherever you are in your marriage, or even in any relationship, let's take it a step aside. Wherever you are, you have the ability to lead. Even in the midst of the most you know, mistake-ridden marriages, even if you've made the mistake that you think that you can't get over, the Bible says that it's not too late to lead. God is saying that it's not too late to lead. And so we have the opportunity to say, listen, even though I've made mistakes, I can take the next step in my position of leadership. And this is how I think that plays out, to say this in your relationships. Honey, what can I do to be a better leader at home? What's the next step that I can take to being a better leader at our home? And for, many of, for, for me, it's probably a long list, but for you, it's probably really short. I don't know. But, but every single one of us can take the next step in our marriages, in our leadership, in our relationships. It's not too late to love God and to love people. It's never too late. And so wherever you are, please, my hope for you is that we look at God's word and not look at this as some judgment or condemnation, but instead God would say, this is the way to healthy relationships, to be humble, to be loving, to be caring. Listen to what it says Again, back in Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Listen, he gave up his life for her. I think of, of this as the most perfect example, the most humbling example that we could even have as men in our marriages or in leadership positions is to know that the God of heaven left the confines of heaven being worshipped. He stepped from heaven to earth and he loved us so much that he gave his life. He submitted, number one, to God the Father, and then he gave his life for you and for me to be in relationship with God again. And what Paul is saying is that we need to demonstrate that kind of love, that even in the midst of life, we would lay down our life before our wives. Husbands, that is a great responsibility. We have a great responsibility to love, to protect, to provide, to care for our wives and if we've not done a good job, today's the day to start. If we have, we can take the next step, wherever we are. Let's go to the next, the next point. Our culture says that men and women are the same. The Bible says that, the, that men and women are equal. Now, here's an absolute truth that I'm going to give you. Men and women are not the same. We're not the same. You know, as a matter of fact... We're so different that it's crazy. <laughs> you know, I was doing some research on this, and very clearly, study after study after study literally says that our brains function differently. 
They, they literally function differently. We handle emotions differently. We, 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 we handle conflict differently. We, we learn differently. We make more decisions, different decisions at a different rate, a different pace. We are so different. But here's the thing. We are equal in value to the one who created us. And we can come together and we can be one in our marriages. We can be one in relationship with our spouses. We can be a light to the darkness. One, one of the, this study that I read, I, I loved it because it, it's so true and I laughed. And so maybe you will today, maybe you won't. But this study really highlights how different men and women really are. Listen to this. Men are more aggressive than women when they drive sports cars. It's fair. Women are more aggressive than men when they drive SUVs, right? A, a mom in a minivan, watch out. And then it goes on to say that women are less likely to be caught and convicted of speeding than men. You know why? Because cops are always looking for sports cars, right? When men perform as well as they expected, maybe at a task or something, they tend to attribute their success to their own skill, or to their own intelligence. If they fall short of their expectation, they tend to attribute their failure on someone else, right? It's called pride. Maybe I'm the only one who struggles with that. When women meet their low expectations, they tend to attribute it to their lack of ability or intelligence. When women exceed their low prediction of achievement, they tend to attribute it to good luck or some other factor outside of their own. It's called humility, right? Relationships. Women ask more questions, <laughs> more, more focused, more pensive. Uh, they want to get to the end result. In more than three-fourths of interruptions in conversations are made by men, right? So it's this idea, squirrel, right? Like we're totally different. We are totally different. And this goes beyond even marital relationships. We're different in every way, shape, or form from everybody around us. But here's what I want us to understand, and here's what is so awesome about our Creator God, our God who loves us so much, that He wires us in a way that when we come together with all of our differences, we become one. We become united. Now, I, I think of this in Genesis chapter 2. You remember when God created everything, and it was perfect because He's God, and everything about it was perfect and good. He creates Adam, and he sees that it's very good. But the one thing that he sees that's not good is what? That Adam is alone. And so the Bible says that he created Eve as a suitable helper for him. Now, some people would look at that and say, see, helper, you know, subjugating, leadership, but that's not at all what that word means. What that word means is that God uses that to bring together one, to make it perfect, to be a protector, an encourager, a supporter, a lover, all of these things. And so when God created relationships, specifically in marriage, he did it to unify us. Peter says it this way in verse 7, she may be weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Here's, here's what I love about this. This is the culture war. Peter's saying, now that you've accepted Christ in this new life, this is how it should be. In, in the world, you're going to live the way the world lives. Culture's going to be okay. But in a new life, she is your equal partner. And, and, and what he says is, treat her as you, so, you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Now, this, I think, highlights the obvious. There are physical differences between men and women. 
But what this is saying is that even though we have different roles, even though we are built and wired differently, God equal, has equal value and worth for every single one of us. He has a purpose and a plan. The same grace that men get, women get. Because he loves every single one of us equally. Even though we're different, he loves us the same. And when we begin to understand that, it changes our marriages. It changes our relationships. It changes who we are, our identity. Let's end with this today. Because I think Peter doesn't just stop with marriages and families. I think he takes it a step further. So for those of us, you know, I mean, I think we all have been impacted by family. Maybe it's not marriage and relationships. But, but this is what Peter says. He says, our, or the, the world says culture, uh, our culture says Christians are divided. And even, I think, even more so now today in this generation, people see us as a divided, a divided people. <laughs> but the Bible says that as Christians, we should be united. We should be united. And so, again, in, in week one, we talked about identity. And when, if you are a follower of Christ, our identity has changed. New creation. The, the presence of the living God lives inside of us. We're called to be different. And so what I think Peter does is he says, now this is what it means in families, and now this is what it means in life. And I want to end with this scripture. It's in verse 8 through 12. He says, finally, all of you should be as of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. How many look at that and think, man, I've failed miserably? I have. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Says the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. The Lord turns his face against those who do evil. You see, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have the ability to stand in the midst of a culture war as we're swimming upstream and we're bombarded about what culture says about family, about life, about fill in the blank. We have the ability to say, no, that's not at all what God's word says. God's word says something different and his word is living and active. It penetrates our hearts, our minds. It's useful to teach, correct, sometimes even rebuke us. And so when we stand on the word of God, that goes against the war of culture. Friends, wherever you're at, in any relationship, marriage, whatever, we have the opportunity to take the next step. To make the next step in our relationship with God and then to take the next step in our relationship in our marriages, in our friendships, in whatever relationship it is. But please, if you haven't today... If you haven't today put your faith in Jesus Christ, that is the most important relationship that you could ever have. The Bible says that Jesus, he came for you and for me to be in relationship with us. A deep, loving, caring, hope-filled relationship. And if we put our faith in him, the Bible says not only will our lives be changed, but we will spend eternity with him one day in his presence. I'd love to share with you how easy it is to do that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you that when we come to your word, uh, we can take a passage like this and, and we can apply it to our lives. And it can not only just impact ourselves, but it can impact our marriages, our relationships, our friendships. And so, God, I just pray that as these words, uh, your words through, your, your, through the Bible today, God, would it have changed us? Would it, would it challenge us? Would, would it really just 
uh, help us to, make, to, to take the next step, God, whatever that, that way may be. For those in this room that, that need to start a relationship with you, God, only you can tug on their heartstrings today by the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you do that? Would you show them that there's no greater relationship? We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.